You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. of Locked On NBA Draft. My name is Richard Stamen, and this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. So for this episode, since the draft is at a dead point, this is, I'm changing it up a little bit, going to the NBA-focused side with a little bit tie-in in the draft. So I brought in one of my very good friends from high school. You know him on Twitter as at washed Mavs blog his name is Tyler Adams Tyler how are you doing today doing well how about yourself pretty good I'm excited for this you're you're one of my first guests in a minute so it's good <laughs> to be back in this so uh, obviously there's a lot to talk about the 2017 draft is actually a very relevant draft right now to the Mavs and as you know a Mavs draft so I, I wanted to talk to you about that, but we'll, we'll get into the Mavs side in a little bit. But first, let's just talk about what your big expectations are for this draft. Are there any guys you see as like a breakout who not necessarily from bad to good, but just like taking that jump from very good to elite? Because we've already seen some of these players are all-stars from this draft class. Is there anyone who you could see taking another jump from that all-star status? Um, it's a great question. I think I have a pretty obvious answer and one that is not going to be, you know, super reactionary. So sorry for that. If you guys are expecting me to just fire off a wild take from the start. So I I think Jason Tatum with the Celtics is going to take the next step this year. I think that Brad Stevens is trying to assemble a roster around him that is going to let him take advantage of his strengths. Uh, Their new coach, Emi Adoko, he came in and he said, you know, we need to move the ball more than we did last year, where you saw a lot of isolation from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And uh, to take something from the NFL, uh, the Seahawks, they say, let Russ cook. I think that the Celtics and Brad Stevens are going to want to let uh, Jason to cook and just want him to focus on scoring. And I think you're going to see a jump in efficiency and maybe a few more points per game. I think he'll definitely be in the MVP conversations for a good amount of the season. Yeah, I agree with that last part too. What do you think he does uh, to take that jump? Is it just making more shots at a better rate or is there like a skill you see him getting better at? Uh, I, I think it's efficiency. I think that him not being the guy that they're going to you know, point to and say, we need you to create from pick and roll is going to help his game more. And then obviously uh, it's not a secret how, you know, he had COVID last season and he had to do different things with his body than he's ever used to. Like he had used an inhaler, his conditioning really wasn't good all that season. So I think with a full off season and a new coach and, you know, maybe more of a scoring focused role, you're going to see a better version of Tatum. And also from a defensive standpoint, he's always been a guy that's tasked with guarding either the first or second guy on the team. And while you may or may not believe in Josh Richardson, uh, the Celtics obviously do by acquiring him. So they're going to want to put him on those type of guys, free up Tatum to focus on what he does best, and that's be a score. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer in put the ball in your best player's hands as much as possible. So I, I agree. And I think 
I think you honestly, you hit it. Like I could see him competing with scoring titles this year, which is pretty crazy to think. And I know that's probably a jump. Uh, it might be a stretch, but I, I completely agree. The situation last year was so bad, but he was still really good. He had that 50 point game against the Spurs, which was probably the best single game of the year, in my opinion. Like he he's ready to be take that jump to superstardom. I think like I, I think he really could be the very best player from this draft. Like he probably already is, but he could really establish himself as the superstar from this class. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. And if you look at his statistics across the board last season, you know, he averaged the most points per game that he ever has. He averages most rebounds and the most assists. And, you know, uh, looking at it from a flat rate, you're saying, okay, he's already had his best season. What more can he do? But if he just, you know, is more efficient of a player, maybe he takes a little bit less threes this season and focuses more on uh, getting to the paint. And like I said before, I think him not having to exert as much energy as the team's primary ball handler and defending the best player is going to help him too from a conditioning standpoint. And he also has set a career high in turnovers last year. So maybe that's one of the areas where Brad Stevens is going to say, look, we know you're a great player, but if you trim the turnovers down a little bit, you raise up your efficiency and you just focus on scoring, you can be, uh, you know, maybe the closest thing to Kevin Durant in the NBA today. Damn, I like that. Well, uh, for the next one, so I'll, I'll actually go on mine real quick. Uh, I'll, I'll just match you. I'll go quick and see if you have any thoughts. But I, I see Bam Adebayo taking a big jump. He took uh, over 300 free throws this year and shot 80% from the line. I personally think that's a pretty big indicator that his jump shot is going to become more and more useful. He took a record amount of mid-range jump shots this year. I think it's only a matter of time until he starts shooting. And when he starts shooting with his already versatile game on both ends, you're looking at one of the top big men in the league. Like he already is, but he can make a jump and hop some other guys. And uh, I think if he gets that mid-range down and the three-point shot, especially once that comes, like that's superstardom. And he could probably, which this sounds like such a far-fetched thing to say, but he could probably start getting some MVP votes whenever. It won't be this year, but in the near future. Would <laughs> Do you think that's a hot take or is that uh, valid? Uh, you know, I think maybe MVP votes might have to slow down a little bit, but he just is he's coming off his best season. Like you said, his free throws are up, his free throw percentage is up. I think with Kyle Lowry on the heat, um Pat Riley and Eric Spilter are gonna say, Hey, you know, we need you more from a spacing standpoint to some extent, just to, you know, maybe free up the paint for guys to attack. It's not a secret Jimmy Butler is not a plus three point shooter. I don't know if Bam's ever gonna be a three point shooter, but like you said, if Bam becomes a consistent mid-range threat, that opens up a lot of things to the Heat. His four-year progression as a player in the NBA has been really awesome to watch. Uh, the pinnacle of it was probably, you know, the 1920 season when he went to the finals against the Lakers. Obviously, he had a great season last year, but the Heat had so many different issues, like a lot of teams in the NBA, and obviously their first-round playoff series against the Bucks wasn't very inspiring. But with everything being said, Bam is playing on the first year of his new contract. Uh, he's playing with definitely uh, the best distributing point guard of his career in Kyle Lowry. I'm really excited to see what he does. Yeah, and you brought up a good point. So I meant to emphasize this, but the reason I'm talking about 2017 is because they're the first draft class that I covered that is getting their second contract starting this year. So that was the point of that. But I also agree with what you said, like having a 
the best point guard Pam has ever played with in his now fifth year. And Kyle Lowry is going to do so much. And I meant to ask this for the Celtics, but what do you see the Heat's floor and ceiling being this year? And how realistic do you think each of those are? Uh, for the Heat? Yeah. Yeah, I would say their ceiling is probably going to be the Eastern Conference Finals. I love what they've done, but unfortunately, they play in the same conference as the Nets and the Bucks. So if they could beat either one of those two and get to the conference finals, that'd be really awesome to see. Who knows? Maybe they completely miss them on that side of the playoff bracket. But it would really surprise me if the Bucks and uh, the Nets don't get the one and two seat respectively in the East, which is why the the Heat are going to have to face either one of them. I don't know. How do you feel? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I think Miami's offseason was a little bit overrated. As nice as it was, I just I think it was a little bit overrated. So I, I would agree. Probably Eastern Conference semis being taking whoever. I think it'll be Milwaukee or Brooklyn to seven. Yeah. I, yeah, I think what, the Heat are going to be the three or four seed in the East. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. What about Boston? What do you think their outcome is on both ends? I think Boston's outcome is going to be, and, you know, I, I told you this yesterday in a, you know, a, a conversation we had, but I, I, I don't want to say they're locking themselves in by re-signing some of their top guys, but they kind of are. The Dennis Schroeder move was a nice, very, you know, buy low, high reward type of move, but I feel like they're perpetually going to lock themselves into being at the most having a ceiling as a four seed over the next couple of years, barring a major move. Yeah, I just feel like they're counting. And then, their, and then their floor would be probably like the six or seven range. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, they're capping themselves into mediocrity. They're like too good for the play-in probably, but not good enough to make more than maybe the semis and maybe win one series for the next year or two. I mean, I, I have a lot of concerns for them. I think they do need to kind of make that big splash, which I feel like we've said now for almost 10 years. But... <laughs> I, I just think that if you want to make that jump, you got to surround Tatum and Brown with star talent and maybe even give up Brown if it means getting someone better. I don't know how realistic that is, but uh, the Celtics and Heat both have really interesting paths. Is there anything else you want to touch on before uh, we go to break real quick? Uh, I know he's a guy that you've always liked his career a lot, and I, you know, I like him as a player, but I don't know if I'm as high as him on, as you are. Uh, do you think that this is finally the year that De'Aaron Fox leads the Kings to the playoffs? No. <laughs> West is too good, but he'll be he'll have a great year. Yeah, no, I agree. But like, like I said, you're way higher on him than I am. Uh, I would say that I'm really curious to see how Davion Mitchell plays and what the Kings do with De'Aaron Fox if, you know, they choose Buddy over him for some crazy reason. But it's a it's a fascinating situation to watch. Yeah, Sacramento being in the West hurts them. Um, so when I when we come back, we'll talk um, about the some of the breakout guys, and and we're also going to touch on the Mavs and their 2017 relevance or draft relevance, excuse me. So when we come back, we'll talk about that. But first, a word from Sweatblock and uh, Bet Online. Guys, there are a few things in life that just are not fun to talk about. One of them is excessive sweating. You know, when you're sweating through your shirts for no reason. Some of you might know this, some of you don't know this, now you do. Personally, I sweat a lot, especially like when I speak in public, even recording this podcast. 
I sweat through my shirt. I know this isn't life or death or anything, and there are much worse problems to have in the world, but let's be honest, in the moment, it feels like a big deal when you're sweating excessively. Nobody likes to pit out during an important speech, interview, or a first date, God forbid. I'd much rather not worry about it, and that's why I use sweat block antiperspirant wipes. Sweat block is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You simply apply it at night before bedtime, go to bed. Next morning you wake up and go about your day without worrying about sweat. Guaranteed. I know this sounds a little bit good, too good to be true, but I literally have to use, I only use sweat block, excuse me, once or twice a week and it keeps me dry the whole time. No more pitting out. No more picking my shirts based on which one will be easier to hide sweat better. If you or someone else or someone you know, someone you love is dealing with this, you have to check out Sweatblock ASAP. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with promo code locked on and use one word L O C K E D O N or at Amazon and CVS. It's that time of the year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. That is, of course, unless you're listening still to Locked On NBA Draft and are still invested in the upcoming NBA future talent. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest in the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest, open now at betonline.ag. Head over to the website to use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus. So with this 100% welcome bonus, basically, if you make a bet on Thursday, September 9th between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Dallas Cowboys and you lose, your wage will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up using promo code NFL100. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from basketball, football, baseball, boxing, right to favorite Vegas casino games. You know how BetOnline works. You've heard me say this hundreds of times. Don't wait anymore and take advantage of all the great offers for the upcoming 2021 NFL season. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts, and use promo code LOCKEDON. Again, one word, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. All right, and welcome back to Locked On NBA Draft. Again, I'm with Tyler Adams, uh, known as Wash Mavs Blog on Twitter. You should give him a follow for sure. Known him forever. One of the smartest basketball minds out there. For this segment, we're going to do just a little rapid fire. Uh, go through some players for a few minutes. Just talk about what we expect for them going forward and just expectations for this year and whatnot. So, uh, Tyler, if you don't mind, I'll kick it off. Let's start with Zach Collins of the San Antonio Spurs now. I think he signed a three-year deal. He was the 10th pick to Portland in 2017. He was the guy the Mavs actually were really high on back then. And he just hasn't really been able to stay healthy, but when he's healthy, he's good. What do you expect for him in San Antonio? I expect San Antonio to play him. I expect him to be more healthy than he's been. And you know, there's not really a stat or anything you can point to in his first three years. Like he's shown flashes here and there, but he's played in a limited capacity outside of the, you know, his most recent season that he played the 2019-2020 season. Uh, he'll be healthy this year, hopefully. And with that, he's playing under Greg Popovich, who's kind of an old school coach. And, you know, there's not many guys who emphasize the big man more in the NBA than Greg Popovich. So, I'm excited to see how he learns from playing in the Spurs system and, you know, kind of getting a uh, second start, if you will, with his career. The Spurs gave him three years, so 
he's basically got three years to prove that he belongs in the NBA because after that, I, I think, you know, if he, if he doesn't do well in this chance of the Spurs and stay healthy, then he's either going to be out of the league due to injury or he's going to be a guy you see on veteran minimum contracts until he's out of the league. On the other hand, he has a great shot to really raise his value. He has a great shot to make the Spurs look very smart for giving him a three-year, $24 million contract. But all in all, I'm excited to see him even as a Mavs fan. Yeah, and I feel like that's been his whole thing with a limited capacity. That's been his thing even since Gonzaga. Was he played like 20-something minutes a game and would play really good defense and just be efficient. And like you said, if Greg Popovich could turn like Tiago Splitter and a bunch of other random centers into about league average centers, I can only imagine what he would do with Zach Collins. So I really like that fit too. He's again, I, I think I can echo every single thing you said. Like he could be good. His risk is just injury. It's not, he's not going to fail because of skill, which is pretty a good thing to, to have, I guess. I, relatively speaking, like I'd rather be that than like Dennis Smith, who also is in this draft class, who might be out of the league by four years in. So um, that's kind of rough, but moving to another guy, Monty Morris, I, I believe he was actually a second round pick if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 51st pick has been one of the very most efficient players in the league. I know he's someone you're high on. What do you expect for him this year and just going forward? To me, he's one of the most underrated players in the league. I think very quietly, the, the nuggets just, I don't know if, People don't watch the Nuggets or they don't see what he does, but he's definitely been one of the best, if not the best, uh, backup point guard in the NBA for a long time. I'm excited to see what he does this year in the NBA with Jamal Murray's injury and him missing a good portion of the series season, if not all of it. I think he plays really well off of Jokic. Uh, he's a very efficient player. And... He's also one of the guys that if you go back to the inception of the two-way contract, he's one of the guys who were on the original two-way contract, and he's played that up all the way to starting for the Nuggets this season. So props to him. Yeah, that's a dream of what to expect on a two-way. I feel like most people think every two-way player has the chance to be him, but in reality, it's like, what, 3% of players even get their contracts converted. So having one be a starting point guard in his fifth year is pretty incredible. Another 2017 guy that going back to the first round, and actually this is my number three player on my board, um, which was a miss, but this is a guy who I think found his perfect landing spot. He left Charlotte. He was the number 11 pick in 2017 and that's Malik Monk. What are you expecting for him with the Lakers this year? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't really know what to expect because if you look at the Lakers roster, I just, don't really know where he fits. I guess in their mind, he's going to replace KCP. Uh, I think from a shooting standpoint, he can definitely do that. The jury's still out from a defensive standpoint. I think this is the best team he's ever played with by far. And I think that being around guys like Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis and LeBron James is going to help his development as a player. I think for Malik Monk, he's going to use this year as a way to, you know, boost his value, play some winning basketball, compete for a championship. And then when there's not a lot of great players in the 2022 free agent class, uh, it's a way for him to boost his value and get back out there. Or if he wants to sign another, you know, <clears throat> one or two year deal with the Lakers because he likes playing there so much, then he can go enter free agency again in 2023 and 2024 when more teams have cap space. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I really do like the uh, the fit in L.A., just being a spot-up shooter next to two of the best pick-and-roll ball handlers. It's actually a pretty comparable trajectory as to what KCP did. You brought him up, and that was actually who I was thinking of, too. And in, after his fourth year, he departed for L.A., same thing as, as Malik Monk. I do think where KCP brought defense, I think Malik Monk can actually bring some ball handling, which is really helpful, so it's kind of a trade-off on that front. But obviously, yeah, they would probably prefer his defense being a title contending team. But I, I, I'm still in on Monk. I think he had a great season in Charlotte when he played. It was just a matter of, you know, getting that consistent playing time. And, and if he can maximize his role, the Lakers have tried doing this for years. Or I guess any LeBron team has tried doing this for years where they get these guys who have a great skill and are young and with budding with talent. And usually they don't hit like these crazy upsides or anything. But you look at just how many guys they've tried to make work and some of them haven't like him versus Ben McLemore is a massive gap, uh, gap, excuse me. And I just, I really like the fit of Malik Monk there, but uh, going on to the next one, what do you expect? I, I know I'm a magic fan, so I'm very curious what your outsider thoughts are on this, but number one pick for 2017, Markel Fultz. What do you think he, he, like his future is in Orlando? I know we've talked about this off, you know, we've had our own conversations, but what do you think the future for him is in Orlando and how quick should they be looking to move him? Uh, I think Orlando's in a really good spot. They have a lot of very talented guards and they're all very young. As for Markel Fultz, I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league. If you look at guys that can consistently get to their spot and get the shots they want, he's definitely up there. He's a very underrated uh, paint scorer. I would just say that you know, unfortunately for him, his jump shot is so much different than what it was at Washington. And, you know, people just see that image of him with the massive hitch at the free throw line in his rookie season. And I think that's how they remember him. But his shot has gotten a lot better since then. And I think, you know, he's still a very capable player. As far as what the Magic should do, keeping him may or may not hurt guys like RJ Hampton or Cole Anthony, because at a you can't really play four guards in today's NBA and then have a center on the floor with them. So I'm not really sure what they're going to do. I think the best case scenario for the magic would be if they trade Markel Fultz for a wing or maybe even another big, maybe they could package him with Mo Bamba for something, but I, I don't know. It's a really good problem to have, to have so much talent on your team and young talent that you're, you got to say, hey, we got to figure out a way to get playing time for all these guys. And there's always going to be an odd man out. Now, they could totally prove me wrong, and they could say R.J. Hampton's the guy that's the odd man out, or Cole Anthony. But I think it's pretty safe to say that Markel Fultz is due to his contract and just kind of due to his role in relation to those other guys. And I didn't mention Jalen Suggs' name because I think you know he, he's not going to be fighting for playing time. He's the... He's their first uh, pick this year, their first-round pick this year, and... Uh, He's got all the makings of being a star. So, yeah, I appreciate the high praise. So, I feel like I, I was actually going to go to break, and then I realized I completely left one of the most popular players from this entire draft class off. We can talk about him for a second. What do you think Alonzo Ball's fit in Chicago? Just quick rundown on high, low, what you expect from him. Um, you know, I think that on fast breaks, if he gets the rebound, he's going to be the primary ball handler, but. 
this might be an out there take, but I think in the half court, their best bet as a ball handler is probably DeMar DeRozan. And then Lonzo plays the role he's been playing the last few years in New Orleans, which is pretty much a wing in the half court offense. I saw a stat yesterday where he shoots over 40% from three in the month of February in his career. And then every other month he shoots below 40%. So I would say if Lonzo can just play like he does in February all season, then that could be really uh, special for the Bulls. But, you know, realistically, uh, he has the potential to either have a really good looking contract or a really bad looking contract. I mean, at, at worst, he's going to be a three and D guy. But for what they're paying him versus what they expect him to be, I don't know if it, if it fits. What do you think? Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I, I don't like the the contract that much. I think 20 million, 21 million, whatever it was, is is a hefty deal. I get you have to overpay restricted free agents. So contextually, I don't have a huge problem with it. But yeah, I just don't know how much of a moodle, uh, excuse me, needle mover he is, and it's. It's like, I don't know, Chicago could be a mediocre team in the East, like not necessarily, or sorry, middle of the table where they could be like a six seed. And I don't know. I, I have some reservations. I do like their off season, but I don't know. I think they, I have same concerns about what they do in the half court. I think DeMar should be the first option as a ball handler. And, you know, and I know the Pelicans wanted Juanzo as a three and D wing. Maybe the Bulls continue that with some playmaking. I don't know. So that's one of the biggest mysteries for the NBA this year, but um he's definitely someone we had to get to when we come back we will talk about the Mavs side of this draft um making this you know gotta plug in the Mavs draft podcast uh so when I come back we will talk about that briefly speaking of mysteries why are you still using your average storefront auto parts place when rockauto.com exists so you can save time and money when using rock auto it's a family-owned business they've been doing this for over 20 years so why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership or a storefront, anything like that? Their prices are reliably low for every customer and they don't discriminate who's using the car, anything like that. They have everything you can need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Go explore their easy to use website today to find the solution for your auto car uh, part needs excuse me go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in this time two words l-o-c-k-e-d space o-n and their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com Welcome back to Locked On NBA Draft. Again, my name is Richard Stamen. I'm joined by Tyler Adams at Washed Mavs Blog. For this last little portion of the show, we're going to talk about the Mavs and what to expect from the 2017 draft that's relevant to them. There's really two, kind of three, relevant players here um, to the Mavs from this draft class, which seems like a lot for one draft. We'll start with the one player who has actually signed with the Mavs, and that's Sterling Brown, and then we'll get to Lowry Markinen, a potential signing. And then Dennis Smith, Jr., a player that people want back. Um, so we'll get back to those. But let's start with Sterling Brown. What do you see as Sterling Brown's role? I know he finally got some playing time this year in Houston, had a record amount of, I, I think it was uh, three-point percentage. It was pretty high. Like He did a lot right for someone who had a low pressure in Houston shot. Yeah, it was 42% from three on four attempts per game, far and away his best volume, best efficiency, just really good overall shot 80% from the line on super limited uh, attempts, just 
30 attempts, so really not much to take away there. But what are you expecting from him as a, uh, with the Mavs? I, I actually have pretty high expectations for him. I don't think that he's going to replicate this player one for one, but perhaps he could be the Mavericks version of Marcus Smart. If you watch his tape, he can rebound over bigger guys. He's always moving on offense, on defense. He's, uh, he's always trying to make a play, maybe to a fault. He kind of tries to play, uh, you know, hero ball from a defensive standpoint and try to make the play. But I think that my craziest take is I think by the end of the season, he's the Mavericks starting uh, shooting guard because I think that Tim Hardaway Jr., in order to from be most effective, he needs to come off the bench and be a six-man and play with the bench. So as a 3 and D guy who can sneakily rebound, which is really important for the Mavs, who don't really have uh, a lot of good rebounders outside of Luka Doncic, I think that he's going to find his way to the starting lineup. Plus, Jason Kidd coached him in Milwaukee and is now coaching him again in Dallas. And uh, Bleacher Report's Jake Fisher on a, a Spotify green room recently actually said that the reason that Sterling Brown chose Dallas is because he wanted to stay in Texas and uh, he wanted to play for his old coach, Jason Kidd. So excited to see what he can do. Yeah, that's a three for one. I mean, he played at SMU, Jason Kidd, and then staying in Texas, he was in Houston last year. I, I like the starting guard prediction. I personally am very far from that. I actually kind of think he'll just get spot minutes as a shooter. I think he kind of got inflated stats in Houston that made him look like a better signing than he actually is. I'm a little bit pessimistic on that just because I think, I don't know, he's probably like a 10th, 11th man. Something like that is my prediction, which is fine. Like there's, I don't, with Reggie Bullock coming in, I think that kind of blocks a lot of Sterling Brown and it's not a bad thing. I think Sterling Brown could actually be one of the more efficient players in his time that he gets. Like, this is not a comparison at all, but you remember Ryan Brokoff would have times where he would just come in and shoot the lights out and just automatically the team somehow would just get better for those like five minutes he played just because he was hitting his shots. If Sterling Brown at the very least, that is the worst thing he does. Like that's an absolute win, obviously a little bit more than Brokoff makes, but who cares? Like it's the end of the bench. I just, I think he's a fringe rotation player personally. Um, and I, one thing that does worry me, one big cause for this is a lot of his points came in transition. The maps don't run transition. I'm a little bit interested to see what his offense looks like outside of that. Yeah, no, that's fair criticism. I would just say if, uh, if he can be at the worst, Ryan Brokov and give Mavericks five-minute stints for what he's making, that's totally worth it. I will say, like I said before, with his rebounding ability and the Mavericks not having a lot of good rebounders, I think he can find his way onto the floor. I don't know how closely they compare from a body standpoint, but I do watch Sterling Brown and I say, this guy's, you know, six, five, he's, um, he's, he's pretty, he's pretty bulky. I wonder if maybe the Mavericks even envision him as a small ball four, but we'll see. That's actually, I like that. And that would completely change my stance on him. Cause I keep thinking of him as like a two, maybe a three. So that would actually change a lot. If he could play up as a small ball four. Yeah. he, would be a rotation player. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying he's going to be PJ Tucker because there's only one PJ Tucker, and he's, uh, you know, when you mention unicorns in today's game, I think he's the one of the guys that qualifies because he's like six four and he can play, you know, he can guard centers and play power forward. But uh, I'm not saying Sterling Brown is going to be PJ Tucker, but I wonder if the Mavericks view him and they watched this tape last year, 
and watch him as rebounder. And they said, okay, maybe we can play him as a small ball four when, you know, Luca's on the floor when Luca's going to defend fours, but Sterling Brown will defend threes. So interested to see what happens there. Yeah, no, I appreciate the insight because I because we have differing opinions on him. Uh, someone else who I know we have differing opinions on. I, I have apparently become a uh, I don't want to say hater, but I've become a skeptic uh, via Twitter on this player, which is Lowry Markinen. I know you would be very happy to see him as a Mav. What? And obviously, he's still a free agent. Like he's still floating around at least at the time of recording. Watch him just sign us the second this is over. But what would you want from him? to be like, to live up to whatever contract he signs, say it's like 12 to 15 million a year. Uh, so, you know, I'm higher on them the most, but my stance has always been just get as much talent next to Luca and let's see what happens. Uh, last year he had his best year in terms of efficiency. It is crazy that in the 2018, 2019 season, he almost averaged 19 points per game and he hasn't been there. Uh, he's never been on a team that's made the playoffs. I, I would say from an expectation standpoint, I just need him to sustain his three-point shooting, which is, you know, around 40% on – excuse me, it is 40% on around uh, six attempts a game. So I think if he maintained that, that would be good for the Mavs. The reason I want him in Dallas is because I see Dorian Finney-Smith. I see Maxi Kleba. If you would have told me or anybody in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that's a Mavericks fan, hey, these guys are going to shoot, in Maxie's case, over 40% or close to 40% in Dorian's case, and, you know, a couple of years from three, we would say you're crazy because these guys, uh, they did not look like shooters. But the Mavericks organization, their shooting coach has made him or made them both uh, good three-point shooters. And also, I would say, the space that Luka Doncic creates for them has made them th good three-point shooters. So if you watch a lot of Laurie Markkinen's spot-up attempts last year, he's doing it with a very limited space. So, you know, just knowing Luka and knowing the shots he would create for Laurie, I'm just looking for consistency from anybody who's shooting threes on the Mavericks, and I think he would provide that. I just think about a lineup of uh, – I, I know this lineup is not going to provide you much defense, but – if you have KP, Lori, Bullock, uh, Luca, and then Tim Hardaway Jr., I don't know if you're an opposing coach how you really defend that because Luca can basically get whatever he wants in the post or excuse me, the paint because you know you got four other shooters on the floor and of those four other shooters, KP's far and away the worst one, which is pretty crazy to say. So I, I don't know. Where's your stance on him? Yeah, I go back and forth because um, you know he doesn't do much outside of shooting and when that shot isn't falling which just by number like statistically speaking it will happen where he's going to have some duds of games and he's just not going to be useful um so those games do worry me it kind of just builds more pressure especially like the higher responsibility these guys have when they do that it it hurts but there's also i will give you the point and i've heard a lot of people say this is you know, he's never played with a real point guard. Like Chicago has never had a point guard since 2017. And they, you know, Markinen could probably use that. I think teams figured him out after his rookie year. But Luka Doncic could do a lot for him. I think one player that this is, I, I hate to keep comparing guys to like end of bench Mavs, but someone who had a great impact for the Mavs that people actually don't talk about for when he was here, because I guess the Mavs only won like, one playoff game or something with him but 
was Charlie Villanueva. If you remember, you know, he shot 38% from three. His per 36 is ridiculous. Average 21 points per game per 36, or excuse me, per 36, whatever, no points per game. But like if he had played those minutes, like he was so efficient. He only averaged six points a game. But you look at like the impact of what Charlie V did for the Mavs. And I don't know, things like that. Imagine that next to Luca. Obviously, a whole different roster, a different coach. Charlie V and Carlisle were perfect for each other. So who knows? But if something like that, if you got Charlie V's impact, but scaled like to actual minutes and playing like 30 minutes a game and being good and not just in that five, 10 minutes every time, I actually do think that's a pretty helpful player that every single team in the league needs, especially when you have an elite ball handler like Luka Doncic. So that actually could be the other side of it. Again, my whole thing is just what happens when he's not scoring the ball because Markkanen is almost a black hole on offense when he's not shooting. Like he can he can drive off of fakes, which is really good, which also the Mavs just don't have because even Porzingis really can't do that. But again, outside of those two things, I'd like to just see more. I don't know. Do you see him as a starter or backup? I think he wants to start. Uh, <clears throat> also, I do want to preface what I said earlier and say that I would not give up an asset to acquire him, if that makes sense. So my stance would be, if Laurie wants to play under the uh, traded player exception, which is almost $11 million and make close to $11 million a year, that's okay. But I don't think that, the, that he's enough of an upgrade for the Mavericks to warrant uh, giving up anything for him because the Mavericks are in a position of leverage. He's either going to play in Chicago next season at the restricted free agency number over the qualifying offer of like almost $10 million. And he, if you look at the Bulls roster, I'm not really sure where he fits. Or he can go to the Mavericks uh, and, you know, make close to $11 million a year for the next three years. And three years when he's 27, he can go back in the free agent market. And uh, perhaps Luca, you know, raises his ceiling as a player. But that's my stance in terms of, you know, what the Mavericks should do in relation to Laurie. If, if they can give up essentially nothing for him in the traded player exception, go for him. But I don't think he's enough on an upgrade to give up anything of value. And I think the Mavericks feel the same way about him, and they feel the same way about Goran Dragic, who they're just waiting for a buyout on. But I know he wasn't in the draft in 2017, so I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little bit older than the 2017 class. Uh, but <laughs> no, I, I think that's actually the most important thing for Markin, and, and it's just like, what do the Mavs give up? If it's just cap, if it's literally that TPE, yeah, I, I, I'd be just, I'd be complaining to complain at that point if he's if he's just taken in with that, it's really not a bad deal. Again, like you said, just around Luca, like Markinen's probably the best option available in free agency. It's just nitpicking that I'm doing. And I would just, it'd like be to... a tough day for you on Twitter because hey, uh Mavericks legend, apparently, according to some people on Twitter, Moses Brown would be waived because his contract's only $500,000 guaranteed. So if you complain about, so, so if you complain about Markinen after, you know, people's fan favorite of Moses Brown was waived and it, you know, it'd be a tough day for your account. Yeah. I mean, Moses, oh, yeah, that's still one of the weirdest things, but yeah, Moses Brown is gone. Oh no, the Mavs lost Shaq as someone once told me. Um, so yeah, I mean, marketing would be fine under that scenario. One last player, this is a quick yes or no. And then this will cap it off. Would you take Dennis Smith jr. Back with the final roster spot? Uh, so the Mavericks don't have a roster spot right now. They would have to waive Trey Burke to 
you know, sign him or Moses Brown. I would say with Dennis's relationship with Luca being as strong as it is, and for anybody who's sitting here saying, oh, well, Dennis hated Luca. That's the reason he was traded. That's absolutely not the reason he was traded. They've always been good friends. He was traded because the Mavericks had an opportunity to get either Kemba Walker or Christoph Porzingis, and they chose Christoph Porzingis. So it had nothing to do with their relationship. It just had to do with them saying, let's upgrade uh, our second star next to Luca." Uh, with that being said, I think that he's already a very good defender. He's proven that uh, from an offensive standpoint. I don't think he can run an offense, but I would be very intrigued to see him in Dallas uh, just kind of sit at the end of the bench and, you know, really work very hard in practice, rebuild his jump shot as Maxi Kleba and Dorian Penny Smith did. And I'm not saying he's ever going to shoot, you know, 40% from three, but if he was a capable three-point, like a spot-up three-point shooter, and then his defense is already where it is, and he has a good relationship with Luca. I think he'd be a uh, a good asset for the Mavericks. You know, at the end of the bench. Also, Jason Kidd attended a Nets practice in 2019 uh, before you know the 2019-2020 season. So at the end of the 2018-2019 season, and he worked with Frank Nielakina and. Dennis Smith Jr. So I wonder if there's anything there, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, personally, I'm out on Dennis Smith. Like I, I think he's done in the NBA for now. Like he's a cool athlete, but he can't even dunk. Like how many missed dunks did we see? So I don't know. I'm pretty out on him. If the Mavs had to take someone else from 2017, if they wanted to take, you know, someone beyond Markinen as an end of bench flyer and, and Markinen's not an end of bench flyer. Sorry. I've worded that terribly, but if they wanted to take someone as an end of bench flyer, that's young and, whatever Frank Nielakino would rather be a better option just because like both have been bad and they're busts, but like Nielakino at least has been better than Dennis Smith who can't get time even on bad teams. I have so many concerns with him. Nice guy, I'm sure, but uh, just not sure he's going to make the NBA this year, which should sound the alarms, but uh, thank you so much, Tyler, for joining me. This has been another episode of locked on NBA draft. Give Tyler a follow at Wash Mavs blog. Tyler, is there anything you want to plug before we head out? Nothing I want to plug. Uh, <clears throat> I do want to say that, uh, you know, if your stance is I want to sign Dennis Smith because he's Lucas' friend, there's already one roster spot that's occupied by being Lucas' friend and Bovon. So I, I can understand your take. <laughs> hey, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's not Luca and friends. It's still the Mavs. So, all right, Tyler, thank you so much for joining me. Have a good rest of your day, and don't forget to give Tyler a follow on Twitter at Washed Mavs Blog.